just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hope all is going well with you. I have to be upfront and I have to be honest. Yesterday, I pretty much just screwed off. I didn't put in the work that I normally do. My wife and I and some relatives went out to a casino and just screwed off all day. We played slot machines and the like, and that's pretty much all we did. Now, you have to understand I'm not a, much of a big gambler. I don't, I'm not drawn to it like some people are. I, you know, I go with a set amount of money. I play the low-level machines. I put a little bit of money in. I get what I get. Sometimes I'm up 50 to 100 bucks. Sometimes I'm down 50 to 100 bucks. Either way, it's not life-changing. So it's just entertainment, really. But what kind of makes me nervous is when I'm in these casinos seeing some of the other people that are gambling. Some of these people are fucking serious about it, and they take it personal. I was sitting next to a guy at a slot machine, and uh, he was clearly upset. And he said something to me, and I said, pardon me? He said, this fucking casino has the tightest slots I've ever seen. This is fucking crazy. I go, yeah, yeah, I know, man. I, I've lost probably 30 bucks today. And he looks at me kind of weird, and he said, look, man, I was here yesterday. I lost $350. I'm back here today. I lost another $150 already. I don't know what to do with that. I thought to myself, I know what you should have fucking done. Before you lost $350 yesterday, you should have walked the fuck out of this place. And better yet, don't come back after you lose $350 just to lose another $150. There's $500 out the window, and all you're left with is some anxiety and some anger. That's fucking stupid. Whenever I'm playing at a casino... If I'm going through a bunch of different machines and I'm just not winning anything, I decide this is not my day. I'm quitting, go to the uh, snack bar, <laughs> have a sandwich, and pop, and let my wife do what she's doing. But people get very serious about this. And on the other side of the coin, there are people that will come in someplace and win big money on one slot machine. And then they think that slot machine is theirs, and they come back to it every time they're there. Now, slot machines, as I understand it, run at random. And so there is no one slot machine that's always going to hit for you. So it's kind of ridiculous to come back to the same one. Again, I'm not a gambler, but what I try to do is I take, a, you know, say I take 100 bucks, make it all $5 bills, put it in a machine, see what happens. If it looks like it's going to go somewhere, I'll put some more money in. If it doesn't, I'll walk away from it, go to another machine. My uh, thought process is the more machines I hit, the more likely I'm in going to run into one that's actually turning some money. Now, that doesn't always work. There's no real way to plan for it. So given that the odds are so much against you, I don't know why people get so excited about it. For me, it's just entertainment. I have fun, and uh, we get out and do something and have lunch or dinner or something. It's just a night out is what it is. 
But it's sad to see some of these people in these casinos getting so upset. I mean, I've seen people pounding on machines like that's going to do some good. I don't know. The point of it is I fucked off all day. I didn't put in the work that I normally do. So um, in the late part of the evening to the early part of this morning, I've had to catch up. I was hoping there wasn't a lot of stuff going on that I'd have to catch up and read up about, but I was fucking wrong because we got a war, we got Donald Trump, we got our government, we got all kinds of shit, so there was plenty to catch up on. Now, before we catch up on that stuff, I want to, uh, as I customarily do, look at some emails that I've got. Now, if you have questions, comments, or complaints, you can send me an email at rationalboomer at gmail.com or you can go to anchor.fm look for the rational boomer podcast you can leave a voicemail message always happy to hear from you i've got three emails today the first one comes from bruce he says hey mike did you by chance see and or hear the captured russian soldiers in ukraine it aired on lawrence o'donnell's show the last word msnbc monday february 7th it's worth watching now, I don't know if there was a whole presentation of uh, these kids, but I did see a number of videos, and frankly, it's kind of sad. Uh, these poor kids were in service of their country, not by choice. They were conscripted, uh, conscripted. They were drafted in, and they had to do it. And then they said they were told that they were going to do training sessions, but instead they send them into Ukraine and uh, have them shooting other soldiers. Now, these young kids didn't know why they were there or what they were doing, and then some of them get captured. They're POWs now, and they're doing videos of this. They're showing kids talking to their mom, saying, I'm all right, but I don't know what the hell is going on. The whole thing is pretty sad, but I'm not sure how to think about it. You know what I mean? I... As much as many of these kids didn't know what they were getting into, they still did some pretty horrific things. I mean, wasn't the Nazis back in World War II after it was all over and they were on trial? They said, uh, I was just doing what I was ordered to do. And that wasn't a good excuse then. It's not a good excuse now. It's a, it's a weird situation, though. I don't know if I dislike these kids or feel sorry for these kids or what I feel. These kids are obviously in a confusing situation. They did some atrocious things, of course, because it is war. But they were pushed into this, and they didn't know what they were doing. And I'm sure a lot of these kids are thinking, if I don't do this, they're going to do something to my family at home or do something to me. So... It was a confusing, a confusing uh, uh, set of videos for me. I didn't know what to think about it. The bottom line is Vladimir Putin is the fucking criminal here. And uh, <clears throat> the Ukrainian people are victims, of course. And in some way, I think these uh, conscripted soldiers of Russia are at least partly victims. But they're also the aggressors. They're the ones that are committing these crimes, whether they were ordered to do it or not. You almost still have to hold them responsible for that. I mean, there are some kids that come in to this war and then they see what's going on and they just surrender. They don't want to kill anybody. It's a hard thing. I did see it, Bruce. Um, 
I was not only upset by it, but I was confused by it. So thanks for bringing that up. The next one, I have this uh, email. Just finished today's podcast. couple of things. You mentioned foreign fighters in Ukraine. I would tend to think a certain percentage of Americans go there would be these Trumpers who carry machine guns to school board meetings, albeit a small percent, don't you think? Um, then uh, the Trump story had me cracking up, the one about the Chinese flag on, on the plane, so the Russians would be confused. <laughs> he points out that these planes would be several thousand feet above the ground and maybe a little hard to see the painted flag on the side. Good point. He says, my God, he's so fucking dumb. And I agree with it. He didn't say fucking. I just added that because it needed that kind of emphasis. Weren't these the same jets Trump thought were actually invisible? Yeah, I think they. I think he did. I mean, I've seen pictures of them. They're definitely not invisible. Trump's a terrible gift that keeps on giving. Okay, have a good day. Just thought I'd put my two cents in. Thank you very much. Now, this last email is going to take a little time because this woman asked me to look into something, or at least offered to look into something. And I think it's uh, an important thing to talk about because we've heard about it, but I don't think any of, uh, any of us really know much about it. Uh, this comes from Denise. She says, Mike, again, I always appreciate you take your take on things, so I offer the following suggestion for a podcast episode topic, should you care to pursue it. She says, what was going on in the country that caused the DOJ to develop the infamous memo that declines indictment of sitting presidents? Shouldn't we be writing Garland, Merrick Garland, suggesting that the memo be reversed? It ties the hands uh, of the department rather than allowing it to do what it's best for the country at the time. And in this day and age, if it isn't overturned, I fear Trump may run again just to avoid criminal indictment if it hasn't caught up with him by that time. The wheels of justice turn ever so slowly at that level. Again, thank you for your insights. Live generously, Denise. Thank you, Denise. And, and this is something I've talked about before, probably before I was even on TikTok. When I heard about this memo that basically said a sitting president can't be indicted for crimes, which is just the opposite of what these people tell us. They say no one is above the law. But clearly, according to this memo, now remember, this isn't a law. This isn't in the Constitution. This is a fucking memo. And it says we can't indict a sitting president. Now, of course, there are certain reasons for that because of the confusion and the chaos it might create if a sitting president is indicted. I understand that. But there's got to be some limitations. If it's just a simple crime, I get it. But when we're talking about treason and trying to overthrow this government, I mean, we've got to address that. So I looked into it, Denise, because uh, I didn't know much about it either. The first memo of this type came out, an OLC memo, in September 24th in 1973. It concluded that all federal civil officers except the president are subject to an indictment and criminal prosecution while still in office. President is uniquely uh, immune from such a process. Now, something to remember, that happened in August of uh, 
or September of uh, 73. And Richard Nixon was the president at that time. Uh, he resigned in August of 1974. Remember, Richard Nixon did some illegal shit, and he had every possibility of being indicted because he broke some laws. So it's interesting that this memo would come out prior to Richard Nixon leaving office. Clearly, that's had something to do with that. We know Richard Nixon was concerned about this because, of course, after he resigned, he cut a deal with Gerald Ford to get him pardoned, so he knew he broke some laws. He wanted to protect himself while he was in office because he couldn't pardon himself. But once he left, he made sure Gerald Ford pardoned him so he was safe. He was never indicted for anything. Not to say that he was necessarily going to be indicted. Now, I call this an OLC memo. And basically what OLC is, the Office of Legal Counsel within the Department of uh, Transportation, the Department of Justice. Now, here's the interesting thing. That was the memo that's been circulated around, and apparently there was uh, some question about it, and I think people questioned it. Then there was another memo that went out. In October 16th of 2000, it starts out, I won't read the whole thing, it's 39 pages long, it says the sitting president's amenability to indictment and criminal prosecution. The indictment or criminal prosecution of a sitting president would unconstitutionally undermine the capacity of the executive branch to perform its constitutionally assigned functions. And that's true. I mean, if you indict a president, it's hard to allow him or put him in a position where he could do his fucking job. And I understand that confusion. Now, I'm just going to read the first paragraph. This is 39 fucking pages. So uh, it goes, Memorandum Opinion for the Attorney General. Now, both these memos, the OLC memo was written by an underling and sent to the Attorney General. This is the same situation. Somebody wrote it and presented it to the Attorney General. It says, in 1973, the department concluded that the indictment of criminal prosecution of a sitting president would impermissibly undermine the capacity of the executive branch to perform its constitutionally assigned functions. We have been asked to summarize and review the analysis provided in the support of that conclusion and to consider whether any subsequent developments in the law led us today to reconsider and modify or disavow the determination. We believe that the conclusion reached by the Department of, uh, in 1973 still represents the best interpretation of the Constitution. Now think about that. This was in October of 2000. Who was president then? Not Nixon anymore, of course. No, it was Bill Clinton. And Bill Clinton had some troubles with the law, lying to Congress, that sort of thing, perjury. He probably uh, got to this point in his tenure as president, saw what was going on, and somebody said, well, you know, I think there's this memo that they can't indict you when you're president. So Clinton said, yeah, check that out and uh, give me an update on that. So that's when the second memo went out. Now, the interesting thing about this is uh, um, 
It was written, this memo, the one in in 2000 by Randolph D. Moss. He's an assistant attorney general, the Office of Legal Counsel in the Department of Justice. So we've got people that are assistants or underlings writing the first and the second memo saying that it uh, that you shouldn't indict a sitting president. Now, I read an article about this. It's in a online newspaper called MinPost. It's a Minnesota thing. And they talked to a Minnesota lawyer who is a lawyer of note in Minnesota. Um, he's a respected attorney named Marshall Tannock. And he gave this description of the memo, the first memo. This is what he says. This was derived from an extrajudicial, non-binding, self-serving, outmoded memorandum written by a second-tier personnel in the Office of Legal Counsel in the Department of Justice. He said not only could it be reversed, but it should be reversed because it's weak on all levels. But here's the funny thing. Every time you get somebody in the office of the presidency and they're worried about doing things that might have been illegal and them having to be accountable, they go to that memorandum. The only reason that memorandum holds any power, because it has no legal basis, is because the office of the presidency, the White House, the Oval Office, thinks it should to protect the people in the White House. And that, of course, spills over into the DOJ, who works for the president. So this is some stupid memo with no legal basis at all. If you took it to court, if you took it to the Supreme Court, it would be overturned. There's no question about it, but nobody's ever done it, because who's going to do it? The president? No, he wants to be protected. The DOJ? No, they work for the president. This is a little loophole that they created for themselves, not based on law, just based on necessity to keep them safe. So, Denise, uh, I've said this before, and I didn't know as much about it then as I do now, now that I've read about it a little bit. Thank God for fucking Google. <laughs> but clearly, this is just some bullshit memorandum, and they always look to it like this is, you know, this is the Ten Commandments, like it's sacrosanct. But it's not. It's just a bullshit memo written by a low-level guy trying to protect a president who has committed a crime. That's all it is. So the question is, how do you get it to court? How do you run it through the courts to prove that it should be reversed or maintained? There's no way a court is going to allow that to stand. I understand the confusion of this all. The confusion is, if you've got a sitting president and he's now being arrested for committing a crime, obviously that's going to create some chaos in this country. And I think for low-level stuff, even what Richard Nixon did, it didn't make any sense to um, indict and arrest him, um, Nixon or Clinton for that matter. Neither of these things were a danger necessarily to the country. They were technically crimes. Nixon, maybe you could say that it had something to do with hurting this country. But when you compare it to Donald Trump, there is no fucking comparison. You know, and maybe you turn a blind eye to some of these crimes by police, or not police, by uh, presidents in the Oval Office for some things. 
But I have to think there has to be a threshold there. There has to be a level where it's just a bridge too far. I don't know, like treason or trying to overthrow the government? The situation with Donald Trump, or anybody that might be like him in the future, is vastly different than what we saw with Richard Nixon or even Bill Clinton. Yeah, they committed crimes, but nothing like trying to overthrow the government. Maybe you let Bill Clinton slide. Maybe you even let Nixon slide. But when somebody goes to that extent, you can't afford to let it slide. I would hope Joe Biden and his administration and his DOJ would take a look at this memorandum and say, this is bullshit. We're throwing it out. If they have to take it through court, by all means, fucking do that because it's ridiculous. If what they say is true and that no one is above the law, that should also mean the president. And if this president is committing crimes in office, it's even more egregious than somebody robbing a candy store. I mean, think about it. Guy robs a candy store. It's a horrible thing. The candy store owner loses money and uh, the cops have to get into it. And that's that's a problem. But when you have somebody trying to overthrow the government, that affects each and every person of this country. And it puts us all in danger. There's a big difference between crimes. And I think that Donald Trump's crime is clearly uh, a little bit over the top. Wouldn't you agree? I don't know how we go about this. It's almost kind of like what we've talked about with term limits. Everybody wants term limits. But the term limits are such that the only people that can add term limits to... uh, elected office are people in Congress, people in the Senate. And of course, they aren't going to do that because it hurts themselves. They aren't going to do something that diminishes their power. And the same could be said for the Oval Office or even the DOJ. They aren't going to enact something that's going to hurt themselves. Now, if they were, um, if, if they had integrity, they might do that. But we know politicians typically don't have a lot of integrity, so don't expect that to happen. The other problem we have is we have so much other shit going on, I don't know if anybody will ever get to that thing. We can only hope that nothing like Donald Trump ever appears in the Oval Office again. Because I think most presidents, at least all the presidents leading up to Donald Trump, have followed some norms. They're not really laws, but they're areas... uh, in the time they're in office, that they just won't step beyond because it's just not done. I think we've got a rare person in Donald Trump as president. I don't think we'll find many people like him unless unless the Trumplifucks gain more power and actually get another Trumplifuck-like person in the Oval Office. For all intents and purposes, I don't think that's possible. Donald Trump could run in 2024. There's no way he's going to win. But he's going to be pulled out of the equation at some point between now and then. So he won't be running for president in 2024. It'll have to be some other Republican. And if it's another crazy fucking Republican like Donald Trump, they won't win. They don't have the poll that Donald Trump has. And they have all the crazy shit they're talking about. They can't win. It's not going to happen. But in terms of this memo, it's bullshit. 
It can be reversed. It should be reversed. There is no um, legal basis for it being any kind of law or any kind of reason to follow it. You're right, Denise, and I I guess we all know that this thing is uh, a bunch of bullshit. I don't know how we get out of it. I, we're we're going to have to have somebody that could be affected by this say, I know enough is enough. Now, if Joe Biden decides not to run again in 2024, and I'm sure he won't, maybe he could take this up. You know, if he could get out from under a pandemic and a war and the Republicans attacking him um, and away from uh, student loans and build back better. Once he gets some extra time, he could probably address that. And I hope he would, but I'm not counting on it. We can only hope that we don't get somebody like Donald Trump again. There's always going to be some little infractions with all presidents and all congressmen and all Senate senators. But like I say, when you get to the point where it's trying to overthrow the government, that's a little too far. And we do need to protect ourselves from that because it could happen again, especially if in the end Donald Trump is not held accountable. People will see that as a a window to do whatever the fuck they want. And even somebody who seems very credible and honest, if they get in a tight spot, people will do pretty much anything to save their ass. So we do need to protect ourselves from it. I just don't know how that can be done as yet. But I'll check into it further. I'll see if there's ever been anybody pushing to get that reversed. And uh, if not, what it would take to get it reversed. It's worth looking into. All right, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. So there was a big story yesterday, and a lot of people are reporting it. A lot of people are excited about it. But I don't think they're telling you the whole story because it's not quite how it seems. Yesterday, Poland announced that they would release their MiG-29 fighters to the U.S. to deliver to Ukraine. Then the U.S. would backfill comparable jet fighters to Poland. Poland would deliver these jets to be picked up in Germany. Now, that sounds exciting. Ukraine's going to get some MiG fighters and be able to go to the sky and fight against the Russians. That would be awesome, right? (laughs) Well, the problem with that is this took U.S. officials completely by surprise by this announcement. Nothing had been agreed on at this point. And uh, in fact, uh, um, Kamala Harris was going to Warsaw today to talk about that very subject. Now, the White House and Poland were in discussions for Poland to supply Soviet-era fighter jets, and the U.S. would replenish uh, Poland's Air Force with American F-16 fighter jets. As I say, Vice President Kamala Harris is arriving in Warsaw today, and she was going to broker some kind of deal, figure this thing out. So when Poland announced it as as if it was a done deal, the U.S. was really caught off guard. Now, Poland... In doing this, there's a couple of problems with this, the way they lay it out. America said, look, we will give you F-16s if you will give up uh, Soviet-era fighters. Now, they're talking about the MiG-29s that are probably a little more advanced, and they would expect comparable planes to be backfilled. So now all of a sudden they're kind of dictating to America what kind of planes they want, and that wasn't 
part of the deal. The whole reason for Kamala Harris to come was to work out that deal. So to announce it ahead of time as if it were done is a little presumptuous and probably pissing off America, Biden and Harris. But they're going to meet today, so we'll see what happens. Now, there's another issue with this. And, and, and people have said this. Well, why don't they just give them the planes and they can go and get this stuff and attack the Russians and get uh, get the airspace back, get it controlled by Ukrainians? And that makes sense. But anytime you deal with politics and or war, there are a lot of complications. Now, think about this. Poland sends these MiG-29 fighters to Germany. That was the intent. Send it to Germany. And then somehow, America would deliver these jets to Ukrainians, Ukrainian pilots. Now, whether the Ukrainian pilots would go to Germany and fly them out, or somehow Americans were going to take these jets and deliver them someplace close to Ukraine, I don't know. But here's the problem. Germany has a working relationship with Russia. They did cancel the, uh, the second uh, oil pipeline. They did that. And they have other sanctions against Russia. But imagine this. There are fighter jets that are going to go into Russia and they're going to fight or go into Ukraine and fight against the Russians. But they're flying out of Germany, a NATO company, a country, a country that has a relationship with Russia, with oil and that sort of thing. That may look like an attack from Germany, and that could set off World War III. So there's some technicalities here we got to work out. We can get the jets to Ukraine, but we can't have Poland saying, we're going to send them these real good jets so we can get better jets from USA. I mean, Germany basically said, we're going to give them the jets free of charge. Well, no, you're fucking not. You're expecting America to replenish them, to backfill them so that you have the same amount of planes after you give them to the Ukraine free in charge. But now you want to send them to Germany, and that causes all kinds of other problems. So for Poland to announce this ahead of time was a little irresponsible. And I don't know what it's going to do to the deal but uh, Kamala Harris is going there, and hopefully they can work something out. I do want to see Ukraine get the jets, but it's not as simple as handing Ukrainians the keys to fucking jets. There's more to it, and that has to be worked out before it gets done. I understand there's an immediate need for this stuff right now. But uh, <clears throat> as it is, America is footing the bill, and that's fine. I think they should help out every way they can. But they don't want to get kicked in the ass or attacked by Russia in the process if they do it wrong. So there has to be some procedures and some things figured out here. And Poland jumped the gun. So hopefully Kamala Harris uh, um, can get this worked out. Now, it was announced, and I heard a lot of TikTok people saying, no, good news, Poland's giving them the jets. But that's not quite right. It's not a deal yet. In spite of what Poland said, it's not a deal yet. we got to sit back and wait. I know that's hard because Ukraine needs it right now. But here's always been my theory. I will help anybody out I can, all right? But I have to get my ass kicked to do it. I'm not doing it. 
I'm not going to hurt myself to help somebody else because if I hurt myself, I can't continue to help somebody else. It's got to be done properly so everybody gets through it safely and equitably. America is footing the bill. They're the ones giving up the planes to replenish the ones going to Ukraine. At the very least, let them do it safely so they don't get hurt, so we don't get hurt. So we're going to have to wait and see on this one. I think the Ukrainians will get the planes, ultimately. Ukrainians have been doing a a great job with uh, the Russian Air Force. The Russian Air Force is supposed to be very powerful, but they have yet to get... uh, Um, superiority in the air as yet, which is crazy. I don't know why they haven't been able to do that, but they have not. I know that there's a lot of Stinger missiles in Ukraine, and uh, they're taking down a lot of planes. I watched a video where one guy took out three planes in like 10 minutes. It's fucking crazy. It's amazing. All right, we'll talk about something else here. On Tuesday, President Joe Biden imposed an immediate ban on Russian oil and other energy imports in retaliation for the invasion of Ukraine. Now, he's getting strong support from voters and lawmakers, even though this will drive up the cost of gas. It's already gone up, but by doing this, it's going to have an impact on the cost of gas and other energy prices. Um, Now, the U.K. has also banned importing Russian oil. Now, here's what you got to understand. The EU... Europeans are not going to ban the importation of Russian oil. And here's why. They depend on it far more than we do or the U.K. does. They are very dependent on it, and they need fuel. As it is, their gas prices are going up. Their heating oil prices are going up. They're taking it on the chin. They're taking one for the team. But if they do this, It could cause some destruction in their own countries. They could have gas shortages. The prices could go through the roof, and it would be harmful to their citizens. And, of course, they don't want to do that. Now, understand the amount of oil that we get from Russia is minimal by comparison, and the same said for the U.K. But the fact is, we've got a country that's uh, got an economy that's crashing. And when you take away two customers— from the only business they have where they make money, that's going to be devastating. America is not going to buy oil from them anymore. The U.K. is not going to buy oil from them anymore. And that's going to cost them a ton of money and make their business, their only business they make money on in Russia, it's going to make it less stable. So you got the economy crashing. You got the uh, ruble dropping to nothing. You got the stock market being shut down just because it's going to uh, explode if they open it up again. And now whatever money they're making from selling oil is going to be cut shorter because the U.K. and America will no longer be buying um, oil from them. It's just another way to put pressure on them. And Joe Biden said, basically, I'm not going to let them or help them fund the war by buying their products. And that makes sense. Here's the interesting thing about it. Now, everybody seems to be for it in spite of the fact that it is going to raise gas prices even higher than we're seeing now. And I'll grant you, the gas prices are getting high. But it's not Joe Biden's fault. We're talking Vladimir Putin. 
We've got to put pressure on Vladimir Putin, stop this war, and get things back to normal. If we don't, we could be in some even longer-term problems with gas prices and, uh, and other things. So we have to uh, put our nose to the grindstone and take a little of it in order to fix this situation. We need to isolate Vladimir Putin, and he is isolated. We need to crush him in his own country. And I'll tell you what, when you have a, an authoritarian regime, if you go into a war and you lose that war or you cause strife in the country, you don't last long as a leader in an authoritarian country. And that means even uh, Vladimir Putin. He's not going to be able to stick around long if things are, keep going badly. And uh, there's no sign that it's going to get better. There's no sign that he's going to pick it up and have a blitzkrieg on, uh, on Ukraine because Ukraine is uh, holding pretty tough. They still don't have Kiev. That 40-mile-long convoy still hasn't moved in like five days. Russia's fucking up in terms of the war. They aren't as strong as they appear. And uh, news is getting back to Russia, so the average citizen is starting to find out exactly how bad things are going. This is all bad news for Vladimir Putin. He has absolutely nothing going for him. And at this point, if I was a betting man, and clearly I went to the casino yesterday, so maybe I am, um, but he's not going to be long for Russia. He's causing too much damage internally in Russia. He's getting young Russian soldiers killed for absolutely no reason, and he's been embarrassed immensely in this war in the Ukraine. Expect Vladimir Putin is probably going to get dumped on his ass sometime shortly, either thrown out or uh, carried out. I don't know which one it'll be, but uh, it's going to happen. Vladimir Putin, it's amazing to me. It's all about arrogance here. Vladimir Putin could have just gone along like he'd been going along the last five, six years while Donald Trump was in office. He was taking things a little bit, bit by bit, but he decided that he was going to go whole hog and try to take the whole country. Now, by doing that, he put his future in jeopardy. Had he not done that, he would have been fine. He could have rode this out for another fucking 10 years and been safe. But he's so arrogant, he thinks he's right, he decides to take a risk, and it looks like right now, on this gamble, he's going to lose. So we'll see. We'll see. I've got people predicting next couple of weeks, next couple of months, six months from now, Vladimir Putin will be gone. And let's hope if Vladimir Putin does go, they bring in somebody that's a little more reasonable and not fucking crazy. Because it would be nice to be able to work with Russia with the resources they have, the oil they have, all work together and making sure that everything is good for everybody else. This whole idea of trying to invade other countries and trying to take over the world, that was hot back with Napoleon. But that's really not a thing now. Nobody's really wanting to do that but Vladimir Putin. He's got to get out of the uh, 1800s. He's got to get into the t 2020 area where people are trying to get along and work together so we can keep this fucking world going. We've got a lot of problems with climate change and financial issues and those sort of things. We don't need to be messing around with this bullshit. 
Only Vladimir Putin thinks this is important. Everybody else in the world is against him. Now, i got something else I'd like to talk about. This is a complaint I've been hearing a lot, not about me, but about this whole January 6th thing. A lot of people have been asking when the insurrectionists are going to get serious jail time. Now, we've seen a lot of insurrectionists get little or no jail time. And I've explained that before, what they do when they do these investigations and they start indicting people, and they have indicted 750-plus people that were part of the insurrection on January 6th. These were the people with the feet on the ground, not necessarily the planners yet. Now, when they start prosecuting these people, they prosecuted the low-level people that maybe didn't do anything violent, maybe trespassed or whatever, and they didn't get very serious sentences, if they got sentences at all. And people were in an uproar. Everybody says, oh, my God, they're going to get away with it. That's not the case. They're taking the easy ones off the board first, and they're working their way up. We heard about some people that were being indicted on seditious conspiracy. Now, that's a whole different thing. We're looking at maybe 10 years in jail, huge fines, and they're waiting for trial. But As I said, this is progressing upward, and you'll see more people that were involved in more serious crimes get longer sentences. And that's what we're looking at today. Um, There is a guy, his name actually is Guy Ruffett. I think that's how you pronounce it, but if it's not, don't give a fuck because he's worthless. But uh, Guy Ruffett is a Texas three percenter and a supporter of Diaper Donnie, of course. Um, he went to the U.S. Capitol on January 6th to be a hero. You know how the Patriots love being heroes. Well, he was arrested before becoming a hero when he was uh, at the January 6th insurrection, and he was charged with five crimes. The number one crime, wanting to obstruct a congressional certification of the 2020 presidential election. Wanting to obstruct. That means he was planning to do it. He didn't do it. Um, But that's illegal, too. Number two, transporting guns into Washington, D.C. Number three, carrying a handgun onto restricted grounds on the U.S. Capitol. Number four, interfering with Capitol Police on January 6th. And number five, obstruction, when he was threatening his own children to keep their mouths shut when the investigation started. He knew he did something wrong, and he basically told his kids, if you don't shut up, I'll fucking kill you. Nice dad. Great dad. Well, he was charged with obstruction in that situation as well. Well, he stood trial, and yesterday he was convicted of all five crimes. Now, what you have to understand is just one of these more serious crimes on this list of five has a maximum sentence of 20 years. That's one crime. So this idiot is fixing to spend the rest of his life in jail because he's probably, I don't know, he's probably 50 years old. If he gets 40 years in jail, he's fucking done. And that's conceivable with five crimes and A couple of the most serious will get you up to 20 years. He may get more than 40 years. But this fucking idiot is done, and thank God for that. And for all you folks saying, when are they going to get some serious serious sentences? 
this one is going to be a serious sentence, and it won't be the last one. There's a lot more like this coming. Just be patient, and you're going to see a lot of people doing a lot of time in jail. And the last thing we want to talk about, uh, Proud Boys leader Enrique Terrio. I wonder if he's related to Denny Terrio. Now, only you old people will understand that reference. Denny Terrio, remember, he was that dancing guy that had the show. He was this dancer, and he sold dancing records and dancing tapes, teaching everybody. Yeah, he said he taught um, um, taught John Travolta how to dance for Saturday Night Fever, and that was a big deal because in 78, that was the hottest movie, hottest soundtrack out there. But, of course, if you aren't as old as me, you don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, so I don't care. Denny Terrio is a good reference for me. But the Proud Boys leader, Enrique, Enrique Terrio, has been charged with conspiracy in the January 6th insurrection. By the way, Enrique Terrio doesn't spell it the same way as Denny Terrio, so they're not related. Now that said, Terrio wasn't even at the January 6th insurrection. He's a leader for the Proud Boys, but he wasn't at the insurrection. But not because he didn't want to go. See, he had been arrested a couple of days earlier for vandalizing a Black Lives Matter um, banner, amongst some other things, back in 2020. So two days before the insurrection, he was arrested, and he was in jail at this point. He was in jail for five months. He didn't get out till January 14th of this year. So he didn't go to the January 6th insurrection, but he was certainly part of the planning of the insurrection. And that's what they're getting him for. Now, there's some video. You may want to look for it online. You know, I don't know if it was a SWAT team or what team went out to his house. He comes to the door in his underwear, and they drag him out in his underwear. You got to wonder if he didn't have uh, Donald Trump underwear or some shit. Donald Trump's got to be selling personalized underwear some fucking place. He's selling everything else. He's a walking spam bot, for Christ's sake. All he is doing is grifting. But this Terrio guy, head of the Proud Boys, he's looking at some serious time, too, when we're talking about conspiracy. Now, we know a lot of people have given up information, and I have a feeling this Proud Boy is tough and brave as they like us to believe will flip in a minute when he finds out how much time he could spend in prison. They're all tough until a prison term is put in front of them. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what he tells everybody. I mean, because we know there are Congress members, sitting members of Congress, people from the Oval Office, from the Trump administration, that were all part of the planning and as leader of the Proud Boys, he would have had to been involved in some of those planning meetings. So I would think he's got a story to tell. It could be a very interesting story, too. So Enrique Terrio was in jail for five months, got out January 14th. He got picked up yesterday in his underwear. He's back in fucking jail. Nice! So there was a lot of shit going on yesterday, and I suspect there's going to be a lot more of it going on for the rest of the week. And of course, we'll be here on the Rational Boomer podcast trying to provide you as much information and hopefully some insight as well as to what's going on. 
like I've said, it's real easy for the media to tell you all these serious, crazy, clickbait, uh, scandalous, tabloid type of headlines. But it's really important that we know all the specifics about it, like the thing with the planes. I watched a TikToker, a well-respected TikToker, and I'm not going to fault him for this. He saw the the uh, story that Poland is going to give them these MiG fighters, and it's going to be for free. And that's the way he told it, probably because that's all that was put out at that time. And I was thinking about it when it came out. I said, well, they, they're not really giving them to them for free. I mean, they're giving them to us for free as long as we give them replacement planes. So that's not really fucking free. And we're taking the 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 heat for the cost, and then we have to figure out a way to get them delivered without starting World War III. Thanks a lot, Poland. We appreciate it. It's a nice gesture. But don't act like you're the only ones involved here. There's a lot more to it, and to just suggest it's a done deal that's going to happen, that's a little bit irresponsible. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not getting on Poland. We're all in a tough situation here. We're all trying to figure things out and get this done right and get this war stopped. And I know Poland, above anybody else, is as concerned about this as anybody could be because they're right next to Ukraine, um, and uh, they're very close to where Russia could walk into them, too. It'd be a different situation because they're a NATO country than Russia would have to fight 30 nations, and they wouldn't do well there, so then we get the nuclear war. That's the whole thing about this. Everybody has insights. Well, the U.S. should do this. The U.S. should do that. England should do this. That's all well and good, and it would be nice if all 30 NATO countries could load up planes, go in there, and clean out fucking Russian people from Ukraine. They could do it easily enough. Russia would have no chance. But we know that Russian leader Vladimir Putin is throwing around this nuclear weapon issue. And we know that if we went in and fought against the Russians, that would be the start of World War III. And it could very well lead to nuclear war. And if it leads to nuclear war, nobody has to worry about shit anymore because we're not going to be here. It's going to fuck up the entire planet. And it's ridiculous. Uh there's always been some kind of mutual agreement between Russia and America saying, look, if we get in a war, we're going to tear apart the, uh, the, 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 the world and none of us are going to survive. So let's, let's, let's just be honest. We're not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. You're not going to do that. But then enter Vladimir Putin in his current state. He's obviously different than he has been in the past. And who knows if he's not crazy enough to do this shit. So that adds another part of the negotiation. We have to be sure that we're not starting World War III. You know, you'll remember back to 1980, if you're old like me, when Ronald Reagan came into office. You remember what happened. We had those um, hostages in Iran. I told Khomeini was holding these hostages for 444 days. Jimmy Carter was president, and for the life of him, he couldn't get them released. Now, people looked at Jimmy Carter as kind of nice and calm and too friendly, and that's the problem. He was too weak to get these people released from Iran. He didn't pose enough of a threat. 
But then when Ronald Reagan took office and uh, went through his inauguration and took the oath, within minutes those hostages were released. The perception was that uh, Ronald Reagan was stronger and tougher, and you know, I think he was. But they were also concerned because they didn't know much about Ronald Reagan. They knew he wasn't a politician by trade. He was a TV and movie guy. But he was also very outgoing about his beliefs. And a lot of people thought he was a crazy motherfucker. And maybe he was. Not as crazy as what people thought might be, but they didn't know. So the contention is is that they released those uh, hostages because they didn't want to fuck with Ronald Reagan. That's probably not totally true. There was probably some uh, negotiations behind the scenes prior to the election by the Reagan folks, and they set this up to make him look good, make him look strong as he's coming into office. But either way you look at it, they were held out and weren't released when Jimmy Carter was in, but they were when Ronald Reagan was in. And I'm making a comparison here. You had... uh, Jimmy Carter, who was a known quantity, and they weren't afraid of him. We had Ronald Reagan, who was an unknown quantity, and they were fucking nervous about them, so they walked on eggshells around him. Same thing for America and Russia currently. We never really worried about a nuclear war for a long time because while while Vladimir Putin is a murderous dictator, he knew the parameters that we had to stick within to keep the world safe. But it just seems like now that Vladimir Putin is acting a little weird. We've heard he had cancer. We heard he had uh, Parkinson's disease, all kinds of stuff. Maybe he has dementia. I don't know if any of that's true. But that creates a certain amount of uncertainty, and people are afraid of uncertainty, especially when it comes to ending the world. So they're looking at Vladimir Putin like they looked at Ronald Reagan, thinking, this guy could be fucking crazy. He might just do something. And that forces everybody to act differently than they did before. And that's the position we're currently in, um, in Ukraine right now. There's a lot of things we could do. We could crush Russia right now, on the ground and in the air. But when it comes to the nukes, nobody knows what's going to fucking happen there, and nobody wants to find out. And we're hoping against hope that Vladimir Putin agrees with that scenario. But if he's crazy, who knows what's going to happen? So everybody's walking on eggshells, trying to do the best they can to get this resolved nonviolently, at least between America and Russia. Got all kinds of violence in Ukraine. Bottom line is get the war stopped, get things settled down, get Vladimir Putin the fuck out of there, and try to get some normalcy back in the world again. But we got a long way to go to get there, and we're going to have to wait and see how it all pans out. All right, we're going to wrap it up for another Rational Boomer podcast. want to thank you for spending the time uh, with me listening to the podcast. I hope you have a great day, and we will be back again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.